Uh, Grab your Bibles, open up to Mark chapter 13. Uh, We're going to be finishing off the chapter this morning by looking at verses 28 through to 37. So Mark 13 from verse 28. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see these things happening, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly I say to you that this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Take heed, watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work and commanded the doorkeeper to watch. Watch, therefore, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, in the evening, at midnight, at the crowing of the rooster or in the morning lest, coming suddenly, he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to you all, watch. Let's pray. Lord God, as we look further into your word today, we ask that you would help us to understand this. Grant us wisdom and discernment that we might handle this rightly, that we might not apply our own understanding to your word, but that your spirit might teach us and grow us in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. This we ask in his name. Amen. I know I was sick a fortnight ago, but even still, I'm quite proud of how quickly I've got through Mark chapter 13. Given the number of weeks it took to get through Mark chapter 10 and then Mark chapter 12, I think it's very incredible that after only three sermons, we're finishing a whole chapter. Now, if you're paying attention when we were reading this out loud, not even a minute ago, I I really hope that you remember where we are within Mark's teaching. Uh, This is within Mark's gospel. Uh, Jesus has been, since the beginning of this chapter, uh, teaching his disciples about the end times. Uh, Verses 1 and 2, they were leaving the temple. Verse 2 onwards, Jesus and his disciples are sitting down on the Mountain of Olives, looking towards a temple. It's called the Olivet Discourse, because as I said a couple of weeks ago, we like giving fancy names to things. And also, it just sounds really cool, the Olivet Discourse. What we have read today can't be separated from the things we've seen previously over the last two sermons I've preached. Those things, of course, are things like uh, general unrest, wars and and rumours of wars, of earthquakes, of famine, of trouble, the beginning of sorrow is how Jesus describes these things. Uh, The first sermon we looked at in uh, in Mark chapter 13, we saw the example of of even Christians being mistreated for being Christians as a sign that we would be living in the end times. Christians being dragged before the authorities. Now, some people say, are we living in the end times today? What proofs do we have of these things? I think we've used, I've used, oh, you say we, I, I'm the one standing in the pulpit preaching. 
I've used fairly generic illustrations and examples to talk about these things over the last few weeks. But if you'd like to see a specific example of a Christian in today's day being dragged before authorities for being a Christian, look to the state of Victoria. There's an MP down there called Moira Deeming. She entered into the Victorian Parliament this year and in her maiden speech she upheld Christian values and morals. A few weeks later she was at an event and her maiden speech really did upset a lot of people for how Christocentric it was, how focused on God and Christ and the gospel it was. A few weeks later she was at an event where about a dozen or so neo-Nazis turned up and they made signs indicating Hail Hitler and whatnot. Because of that, her own party has tried to expel her from Parliament. It would be like a bunch of neo-Nazis rocking up out the doors of the church today, saying, Hail Hitler, having TV crews capture it, and all of us being accused of being neo-Nazis because of the actions of others. Moira Deeming was dragged before her own party leadership and they attempted to expel her from Parliament what stems from a maiden speech in Parliament upholding the gospel. Now, on this note, we should praise God. There was a letter which was made open uh, in the last fortnight from Peter Barnes, who is the Moderator General of the Presbyterian Church of Australia, where he wrote to the party leaders in defence of Moira, who is a member of a Presbyterian Church of Victoria church. Praise God that the church stood up for one of their own on this occasion. Praise God for that. We hear Jesus talk about these things of the end times and perhaps we live in in enough comfort to think that these things are a long way down the track, but these things are happening around us today. Things Jesus calls in Mark 13 verse 12, the beginning of sorrows have truly begun. These sorrows are enormous. Some people will feel these on a much more deep and personal level than others. Last week we saw the destruction of Jerusalem, which was to happen in 70 AD. For those living at the time, particularly as we look at uh, chapter 13, verse 17, mothers with children, young children, those who were pregnant at the time, would particularly feel the sorrow that Christ predicts, that Christ says is coming. But with all of that going on, Those who endure will be saved. And Christ is coming back. There will be an end to the sorrow. And it's not just going to be that we're put out of our misery. The end to sorrow will be a victorious Christ returning. He is coming back. That's where we finished last week. Jesus is coming back. There will be an end to turmoil. And when the turmoil ends, Christ will return. And then today Jesus gives us this parable and then tells us that no one knows exactly when it's going to happen. I couldn't really alliterate the title this week. I've thought I've done very well with the Bible study titles lately. I have called this sermon Fig Trees and Clocks because I think that just sums up what this is talking about. Now on a note of uh, structure quickly, in chapter 13, uh, what we see in verses 1 to 13 are effectively point one of a sermon that Jesus is giving. Uh, Verses 14 through to 27, 
that, that's really point two. Now, some people would argue that there's actually four points we've covered up till now. Take the higher level view. We've had points one and two. What we see today from verse 28 through to 37 really is the, the conclusion and the application of all the things we've seen going back to Mark chapter 13, verse 1. And one more thing before we get into the text itself. Well, this is referred to by commentators as the application of what Jesus taught, I hope that we've at, le- at least been able to apply some of the previous parts of Scripture to our lives, teaching us that even parts of the Bible that we might struggle with can still be applied to our lives. All part of Scripture is useful for teaching, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God might be equipped for every good work. We shouldn't just skip to these parts that are more clearly application. All of God's Word is to be applied to our lives. So let's get into this. Uh, Similar to last week, we do have a fairly neat division within the passage that we're looking at. We've got a parable from verses 28 through to 31, and then we've got a final word on Jesus on the end times from verse 32 to 37. So taking them in order, which is the logical thing to do, uh, let's start first with the parable of the fig tree. And this last week of Jesus' life, because remember, not only is Jesus in the temple and then on the mountain of olives looking at the temple, Jesus is in Jerusalem in the final week of his life before dying on the cross. There's been now the second time a fig tree has been spoken about. Uh, You might remember back to Mark 11, verses 12 to 14, where Jesus curses a fig tree because it didn't bear fruit. It was an enacted parable to demonstrate the, uh, the, the fruitless spiritual reality within Israel at the time. Some people have the idea that this same naughty fig tree factors into today's reading. I disagree. That was an example of how Jesus used a seasonal fruit tree to make a point there. He's now using a seasonal fruit tree to make another point now. And on that note, To understand what Jesus is talking about in this parable of the fig tree, it helps if we understand fig trees. I'm sure we've all heard the term green thumb. I've been accused of being a black thumb. I uh, I actually had a lady very grumpy with me one day say to me, Callum, if this is how you're going to be in church, I hope your ministry is nothing like your gardening skills. She continued to verbally lacerate me for a number of other things. Apparently, gardening-related was going to be a direct relation to to ministry. Who knew? Anyway, I'm not the most horticulturally-minded person in the world. So the horticultural prowess that I'm going to put on display comes from people who actually know what they're talking about and who have looked into these things. So what we see here is a fig tree Jesus talks about. It's branches becoming tender and putting forth leaves. And after the leaves, of course, we have the fruit comes to mind here. This is a time that summer has arrived in Israel. And it has a direct connection to the spiritual things that are happening then and there. Now, during the winter months, within fig trees, the sap of the trees contracts. Again, I'm relying on people who know what they're talking about to say that. The sap of the fig trees contracts, which makes the the limbs and the trunk and all the parts of the fig tree quite brittle. Now, at that point in time, it looks very resilient. 
you can hit it harder and do less damage to the tree during those times. It doesn't have the beauty that it would have during those summer months where the sap is moving more freely, the branches are beginning to grow and stretch out, the leaves are coming out, the fruit is about to come. It doesn't have those things, but it's a very hard tree during the winter months. What we have now, Jesus is telling us, when are we going to know the end times is near? Well, one of those times is the fig tree begins to put forth its branches, they become tender, the leaves come out. The sap starts decontracting, it starts moving out, bringing new leaves and fruit to bear on the tree. And when we begin to see that happen, perhaps we become concerned for the fig tree. Because the fig tree isn't as hard. It's not as hardy. It's not as durable. Perhaps the knocks are more evident on it. Where a stone hitting the tree would have bounced off now might leave a bruise on the trunk of this tree. Perhaps we get concerned for the tree in those times. We might look at it and go, it's losing its strength. But heading into the summer months, it's growing. It's becoming beautiful again. It's got leaves on it. It looks the way that we imagine trees are meant to look. Green with fruit. It's healthy. Is it possibly going to suffer harm more easily? Yes, it is. But think about the goodness that this is bringing. Think about this is about to happen. This is about to happen among God's people is what Jesus is saying. He's now using, similar to previously how the fig tree represented Israel, the fig tree is representative of God's people. Within a week, Jesus is going to the cross. He is going to die on that cruel, horrific cross in the place of those who the Father would give to him. He's about to rise following that and ascend into heaven and we will be talking about the resurrection more specifically next Sunday as appropriate to do at Easter. But one of the reasons that Jesus ascended into heaven was so that he could send the Holy Spirit to help us. If we look just a few weeks after this, We go to the book of Acts, we go to chapter 2, we see the branches of the fig tree, the branches of God's people beginning to have the sap moving through them. It's growing. The leaves are coming into season. It's healthy. This is a picture of the church growing and doing what it's meant to do. God's people flourishing and thriving Now, it may feel as if the church, God's people, are in a a delicate state. There may be times when going through trials, perhaps, I'm sure more has felt this at times as well, like many Christians who have faced hardships, perhaps there's times where we'd prefer for the sap to, to condense, that we could endure the dangers a little bit better. But John Calvin very helpfully tells us that this, is the church preparing itself for eternal glory. Eternal glory that outweighs all the tribulations that are taking place and are about to take place here on earth. To the people standing there with Jesus as he's teaching this, mostly his disciples at this point. And he says to them, these things are going to start before this generation is gone. The beginning of sorrows is going to start very, very soon. But there is a fig tree bearing fruit and expanding in the middle of all the destruction and all the turmoil. 
It will keep going. It will keep growing. Because God wills it to be so. How do we know we're in the last days? We see the church growing. What did Jesus promise? That he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. Every time we see a soul saved, we see God growing his church. We see that fig tree moving a little bit more, another leaf coming out on that fig tree. This generation with Jesus right here, they are going to see the start of it. Last week, in verse 24, we saw the words, after the tribulation. We sometimes look at this and say, well, if this generation will by no means pass away till these things take place and Jesus hasn't come back yet, was he lying, was he making it up? No, this generation did see these things happen. It doesn't mean that this generation will outlive the tribulation. History very clearly shows that. And scripture never teaches that they would. So church is growing. And it will grow. And it will continue to grow. And there is this time of of summer and growth until Christ's return because he is not coming back until everyone who he has called to be his own has been made his own. But within all of that, we want Jesus back now, don't we? Have we heard the prayer or prayed the prayer, come Lord Jesus, come? Come Lord Jesus, come. The desire of our hearts is for Christ to come back. We look at this and we know that the the great sorrows that Christ said are going to start, they've started. But there's an end to it. Jesus coming back, when is that going to happen? And verses 32 through to 37, the short answer says, nobody knows. One of my um, pet peeves, there's a lot of them, I'm a Lewis. One of my pet peeves, however is when people try and guess when Jesus is going to come back. The people who do this are the ones who most want Jesus to come back, at least based on how they present themselves to other people. So they get out their Christian numerology textbooks and they read through Daniel from chapters 8 through to the end of Daniel and they figure it out. And they advertise to people, Jesus is coming back on this date. And they build a following. And people sell their houses. And it doesn't happen. I think it would be helpful in terms of Christ's return, not that his return depends on us at all, but if we would just stop guessing. Because if we think we've figured out the day Jesus is coming back, I can almost assure you that's not the day Jesus is coming back. You're working against yourself in that regard. To the credit of those people, there's a desire to see Jesus come. But let's not do that. Let's take Jesus and his word seriously. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Only the Father knows. Take the teachings of Christ seriously. Let's accept that for what it is. It's a statement of fact from God himself. 
Now, this is a statement of fact from God himself. Look at verse 31. Heaven and earth will pass away. That is the finality of the end times we're living in. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. But my words will by no means pass away. Don't skip the words that come after the comma there. But my words will by no means pass away. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Christ is again claiming to be God. If God then goes on to say, no one will know the day and hour except for the Father in heaven, stop guessing, trust God. And sometimes we just want to know. I'm sure we've been there. Somebody knows something that you don't know. And there's inferences made in the conversation. And everyone else seems to know, but you don't know. And you want to know. Sometimes we don't deal well with not knowing. We have a God who has proven himself to be trustworthy, though. So again, trust him. Believe his word. Take it for what it is. We don't know the time when Jesus is coming. Sometimes a lack of information results in us getting frustrated and just giving up and becoming calloused and cynical and just closed off to the things around us. Jesus could have just had verse 32, not that there were verse numbers at the time, but he could have finished at the end of verse 32 and that could have been it. That's a teaching, but he goes on further. And there is a big but there. Jesus doesn't just leave it at the end of verse 32. He continues. He reminds us of the things that we finished off with last week, that he is coming back. Again, this is a promise from Jesus Christ. A promise from Jesus who is God. A promise from God is always guaranteed. It is locked in. Numbers chapter 23, 19, Titus chapter 1, verse 2, and Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18 tell us that God cannot lie. God cannot lie. God is making a promise here that he is coming away. And he gives us an illustration in which we can think about his return. A man goes to a country a long way from where he lives. He gives authority to his servants to work and he gives jobs to people in his employment. And he tells them to look out for when his return is going to be. And you don't know when it's going to be. The time frames given there cover pretty much the entire day. We don't know when the return will be, but it will happen. So keep a lookout. Morning, midday, midnight, be ready, be ready, watch. Watch for this. See, we could focus through Mark 13 on the great tribulation. When you hear of wars and rumours of wars, if you're out in the field, don't even go home for a shower or change of clothes. Just get to the mountains, get where it's safe because it is going to be horrific. If you're on the roof of your house, just run. Run because what's coming is going to be horrible beyond words.
We could focus on the fear that gets stirred up in our hearts by the thought that for nothing more than loving our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ, we could be dragged before the authorities. We could focus on those things, but through this whole sermon that Jesus has delivered, there has been hope. Again, verse 13, the one who endures will be saved. Last week, verse 24 to 27, Jesus is coming back. The King is coming back. There will be a glorious, glorious conclusion to things. And that's what's in view here. The fig tree right now is growing. We could look at all of the darkness, all of the sin, all of the horror, all of the things that could inspire fear in us, and we could become small afraid people who are too scared to step up and to step out and do what God has called us to do. I'm not trying to downplay the tribulations and the sorrows. They are truly horrendous and horrific things that are coming. But we have hope always. How wonderful is it going to be when the one who has furnished us with every blessing and opportunity we have to serve him in goodness and rightness and justice and all that is lovely comes back. It will be such a blessed joy when the one who saved us from darkness and sin and called us into his marvelous light comes back in glory. It will be such a wonderful moment when we are together with all of God's elect gathered from the farthest parts of earth to the farthest parts of heavens and we are all together. It will be so wonderful to stand before our Lord and Saviour on that day and say thank you. Thank you for making me your child. Thank you for making me your servant. Thank you for the opportunities to show your goodness and to serve you in goodness. Think of our joy on that day. Think of our master's joy on that day. There's an eternal coronation in view there. All the tribulations will be over. And the righteous will live in glory because God has promised to make it so. Again, as we've seen for the last two sermons in Mark, things will be hard. There are things we'll go through that will be brutal and will feel devastating at times. We have no promise that we won't face hurt and suffering. We've spoken about it a little bit in the, uh, the last few Bible studies we've had, but Hosea chapter 6 verses 1 to 3 shows us that wonderful messianic promise of the one who comes to bind up all of our wounds. That is our Lord Jesus Christ. 
we will be hurt, but the God who, bind, who will bind up all of our wounds is coming. And even now, the Holy Spirit is in us. He is with us. We long, we long, we earnestly desire the day for Christ's return. When the King comes to completely affirm the completion of his kingdom... But until that day, it's not all doom and gloom. We are servants in his house. We are part of that fig tree that is beautiful and growing and bringing forth leaves. Praise God. Praise God through all we go through. Praise God in the hard times. Praise God in the good times. His kingdom is coming. And if we have faith in him, then we're already part of it. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this beautiful chapter of Mark 13. There is so much in this chapter that could cause us to become a fearful, scared and cowardly people. Yet among so much hardship your goodness to us is made even more evident we thank you O god for your goodness to us for your promised return and for your continued keeping us through all of the ups and downs we praise you for this we thank you for this and lord god we pray that we would keep our eyes on you no matter what we face may we not seek to overcome in our strength but that we might find our strength in you. Ask us in Jesus' name. Amen.